0: How's it going everyone, and welcome back to On Deck. On today's episode, we get to sit down and talk with the owner and founder of Austin, Texas's most successful plumbing company, Radiant Plumbing, and their founder, Brad Casefear. Along with some amazing fishing memories, Brad is also going to share with us some of the wisdom that he has when it comes to starting your own business or company and creating a positive company culture. Brad's company Radiant is known around the country for their clever marketing campaigns that help to break the oftentimes negative stigma of plumbing and the trades. My name's Tyler, and welcome to On Deck. We are live from Radiant yep. headquarters here in Austin, Texas. The HQ. The HQ. The big, big headquarters. How many square feet we got here? Uh, oh, Around
1: 20,000.
0: 20,000 square feet to fix some toilets.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep.
0: So, folks at home, welcome back to the On Deck podcast. I don't think I told you the name of the podcast. It is On Deck. Uh, kind of telling the stories of people using their gifts for good. And so, one of my longtime uh, friends here in Austin kind of met you guys through Boy Scouts. Yep. Back in the day, and then we fished together, had some awesome tournament memories, and just uh, a lot of good times together. This is Brad Casebeer. He is the CEO. Yep. And no longer owner, but partial owner. Partial owner of uh, Radiant Plumbing here in HVAC. Sorry, I keep forgetting the uh, the other important pieces yeah. of the of the puzzle. Um, but. I just wanted to sit down and talk to him not only about fishing, as we have a lot of cool fishing stories together and kind of reminisce on the old days of what this town, what Austin, Texas used to be for bass fishing, uh, where it's gone since then. And of course, talk about for any of you guys out there that either want to run your own business or... Uh, have a desire to not go to college but go into the trades, what a, a career in plumbing could look like for you. And of course, if you guys are listening to this podcast right now, you can find the video version on my YouTube channel under the join button uh, next to subscribe. That's a dollar ninety nine a month. That's the cheapest I can make it, but I just wanted to give you guys an extra uh, way to be involved in the TRF brand, the On Deck podcast. So you guys can go on YouTube on the desktop version to find that join button. You'll be able to watch me and my guest interact uh, on the video side of things. And so First, I want to talk about the main reason why a lot of people are probably tuning into this podcast, and that is for this image right there.
1: Yeah, that was... (laughs) (laughs) That happened. That
0: happened. So, if you guys are uh, unfamiliar, you're listening to this right now, go to my Instagram. I posted a picture of it to kind of launch this podcast. It was a Wednesday night. I believe, you know what, I actually have the tournament results... It was Wednesday, March 25th of
1: 2015.
0: 15, wow. Yeah. F- five years ago that picture was taken, over five years ago, and uh, Brad and I were fishing a Lake Austin Wednesday night tournament, so I don't know where you guys live, but uh, all around the country they have you new know, night tournaments for the, for the working man. They can go out there and just kind of, you know, fish for a few hours, and we'll kind of go into some of the tournament history of the Wednesday nighters and how insane they were, but... Brad called me, and he said, I have a feeling that the fish are going to be spawning today. And uh, we'll talk about kind of your prowess when it comes to to bed fishing. Uh, And at this point you were started to work a lot and you only fished when you think you had a chance of winning
1: yeah yeah i i do <laughs> i think this is a theme in my life I, <laughs> I i find i'm competitive yeah um yeah so just being a donor and you know throwing it at a random shoreline's not my thing i like to i like to have a plan i like to i like to at least feel like um i've got s- some sort of a plan <laughs> to, exactly. to to win uh, yeah, otherwise yeah. I would just rather fish when I'm not having to compete for spots and stuff and just uh-huh. go have fun.
0: Yeah. And so he called me and said, hey, are you free this afternoon or this evening for a tournament? And I said, yes. So we head out there and the fish are on beds and the big ones are on beds. Uh, not really all over. They were kind of on this one shoreline, kind of upper mid-lake on Lake Austin. And we mark a few. He kind of shows me a cool uh, trick where you, I don't know how I, you know. Environmentally friendly. This is, but you throw a tent, throw a golf ball into uh, into the water <laughs> next to the bed. So when the when the sun's going down, you can see that white, bright golf ball next to the bed. And we marked a few fish, and we're like, you know what? There's a few big ones. We got a we got a chance of doing well. So we get out there and uh, get to our spot. How many boats do you think are in those?
1: Twenty, thirty? Uh, yeah, they would get up to over fifty sometimes. I don't remember that specific tournament, but yeah. they they would get pretty high turnouts. And these Wednesday night tournaments, they start at.
0: 6, 6.30, something like that, and they end in the dark. So you only have about two to two and a half hours max. Of, of max of sunlight, yeah. uh, and then, you of course, you can fish in the dark, but in a sight fishing tournament, it's really difficult to sight fish at night. As a matter of fact, practically impossible. We did have a few flashlight... Yeah, uh, sh- quite a few at night, actually. Flashlight <laughs> bed fish. Um, but we get out there, and the first fish we start on, I break off twice.
1: Twice, yeah. It was... Um, yeah. So I'll just say it was really, um, I wish I had a video of that because uh-huh. the second time you completely collapsed on the floor. <laughs> like the first time you were upset, the second time was a complete nutter utter collapse. And this yep. was a solid seven pound fish. Uh, we actually know what it weighed because yes, it we made do. it to weigh in. Yes. <laughs> there
0: was uh, there was a boat sitting behind us waiting for us to make mistakes, which I did twice. Broke it off twice. Uh, once it must have spit the lure the second time I broke my jig off. It was 7.56 caught by Brian Parker and yep. Donnie O'Neill. They actually threw me my jig at weigh in because the fish still had my jig in its mouth. But after that, I don't know if we were just frustrated or what the deal was. We thought, you know what? Sun's going down. Let's move on to another big bed fish that we had marked. Mm-hmm. And uh, considerably deeper.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what that fish weighed. It was big though. I, I do. Oh, you got well, it. It's right here. What was it? So
0: I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of tell the story. So we get there. We worked the seven pounder for what had to be an hour, hour and a half, two hours, like long time. It's a bit. And of course, had our chances. We get to this other fish, and I'm still retying from when I broke off. And I think it was your second flip on this fish that you th- you told me it was an eight. I believe you told me it was an eight and you set the hook and we're fighting it. And I'm like, I think I had to put my rod down to get the net. And we net this thing. We realize it's a lot bigger than we thought it was. And that fish weighed eleven point two three. Oh, that
1: was a good one. Yeah. It was an eleven
0: point two three. Which was the biggest fish that I've ever been around. I've ever netted for sure. And I know what's what's your biggest?
1: It's pr- I, I have I have two. Um okay. they were eleven three, basically, eleven point three were in that range. So got it. pretty equivalent. And then I got two tens. Um so those are my four. Double digits. Exactly. Yeah. So we netted that
0: fish. We're ecstatic. We take a picture. I can't seem to find the picture of you holding the fish, but we take a picture, and then we put it in the live well. And it 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 was only about maybe a minute that it was in there until I go back there to open up the live well to either get it again for another picture or whatever the deal was. And that right there was the scene that we discovered. I still think we
1: should have. That should count as one fish. I know.
0: That was a three-pounder.
1: A fish eats another fish. That's a fish, right? I, know.
0: I mean, people, this, this photo has been shared. It's been seen by millions of people all around the world. And, of course, the coal tags in the picture people thought were, you know, Coke cans, and we were throwing trash in our live well. Just a lot of uh, controversy around this picture.
1: thought I missed all that.
0: People, <laughs> pe- people thought, of course, that we stuffed the three-pounder that was in our live well inside this fish's mouth, but we didn't. We are here to tell you the truth.
1: Yeah. It was a trick getting that fish out. It was. Those spines it, were all wedged. Oh, my gosh. It was,
0: it's past almost half the dorsal fin there.
1: It took us a while. We were working on that for a bit.
0: <laughs> we were. And so, yeah, comment comment below or message me if you think that 11-pounder that should have been a 14-and-a-half <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but mm. I, I have a speculation. I don't think the fish meant to eat that fish. I don't think so either. No.
1: I just, I suspect that big fish opened her mouth, and another one just shot in there. <laughs> and that was, they, they, those males get really um, cranky um, during the spawn. Pre- oh. yeah, you'll hear them bump on their heads. Exactly. And they're, they're very active in there, specifically when you catch them off of a bed. Yeah. Um, so he was probably pretty busy down there. She happened to have her mouth open. Exactly. That was my guess. Because
0: I think when you catch, or at least when I release a big fish back to the bed, you'll see them fl- kind of flexing mm-hmm. their mouth to stretch yeah. it. And I'm guessing she was just flexing her mouth in the live well in the small little guy.
1: That would be my guess. <laughs> I-, I think is a case of bad timing. But yeah, to
0: have a fish slide in that perfectly yeah. into her mouth was crazy. Uh, we ended up actually losing the tournament with an 11.23. We lost to, uh, who was the fellows that beat us? They only beat us by about half a pound, and that was matt Matt Hill and Barry Mott they also had a nine point one three a good night and they beat us by point eight.
1: Yeah, that seven powder would have done the trick. When you say lose, do you mean second place? Yeah, second okay. place. Okay, we,
0: st- <laughs> we still made money. We still made.
1: Uh, He's competitive too.
0: Yeah, we still made five hundred and fifteen dollars yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but that was that was the one and only tournament we have fished together. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I'll be darned. And huh. That was a uh, well, was a good one? It was a very good one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so next time they're on beds, let me know. Yeah, I de- definitely. Will um, keep but you kind of switching top, not switching topics, but staying on the topic of, of Austin fishing. Mm-hmm. You were here for both the rise and the decline. I was kind of here for just the end of the rise and the decline, but you were here for the rise and the decline of the Austin fishing scene.
1: Yeah, it was amazing.
0: So kind of kind of talk about, you know, when you moved to Austin, your, your passion for fishing, how that grew.
1: Yeah, I, I moved to Austin in 85 when I was like 10 years old and, and we bounced around um, back and forth and eventually started my plumbing company here in, what was that, 1999, I guess. Um, <clears throat> the getting into the fishing scene—I've always, it, it, just thinking back to my childhood. If my parents asked, "What do you want to do for your birthday?" It was always mm-hmm. go fishing. It was yeah. the only response I ever had. So it's just kind of in my DNA, I suppose. But the um, the tournament thing always seemed exciting to me, but I just was too nervous to get in. I didn't have the right gear, and I was just kind of like intimidated by the scene. Okay, and very much like your interaction with me on this tournament i had one with a friend who said hey um you we've talked he fished a ton of tournaments in another era uh-huh and he hadn't in a long time and he just ran he called and said hey i was out on the lake saw some really nice fish on beds i think there's a tournament tonight if you can figure out how to join that thing yeah we'll go together i think we'll have a nice shot and i was like i'm in okay. let's do this how old are you then um i was in my early 20s okay gotcha. yeah And so we go and um, I end up, we end up winning the tournament. Uh I accidentally, I didn't know how to fish beds yet. I was watching him fish these beds Uh and I was talking on the phone to my wife and I had a cinco dead sticking off to the side of the (laughs) bed and it was murky and that female had pulled off, Mm -hmm. six pound female, and hailed my cinco probably six feet off of the bed. Got it. Completely out of sight. I just felt tension. And um, I was addicted. Yeah. I, I got <laughs> one and got big bass on my very first tournament. <laughs> it's like, how cool is this? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I, I rocked a bay boat at the time and, and I fished out that year and had some pretty pretty good success. I mm-hmm. think I made it placed once or twice, but had a lot of fun. Yeah. And the thing that was really special about it was the community. Um, the, it, we had this Austin Bass Fishing Forum that was owned by one of the guys that fished the tournament and the characters that were in the group were just the most fun. Yeah. And it was just the friendliest set of guys that got on and hammed it up, made fun of each other, had great senses of humor. And so the online community was super active and vibrant and lively and then super competitive out in the, in the field. And we had Lake Austin um, starting to develop some significant hydrilla yeah. right then. It hadn't really gotten up but it was just getting started, and then fishing got better and better and better. Every year, it got, exactly. got absurd. It yeah. got absurd. Like There were multiple double-digit bass caught every single week on that lake, yeah. year-round. I've got, I've got some results
0: for us to talk about for, yeah. for Lake Austin. It's crazy. Um, and so, you were sight fishing your first tournament. We were sight fishing for mm-hmm. our first tournament. You obviously have a love for sight fishing. You told me before that you kind of helped bring sight fishing exposure to Austin. So, tell, to talk about that, I
1: uh, yeah, I I think so. I think most people wouldn't. That's a that seems like a big statement, but <laughs> I I think uh, people knew about sight fishing. I don't think people necessarily saw it as a uh, um an effective tool uh, for turn winning tournaments. Okay, and and so I you know I would knock off. Um, these were evening tournaments on weekday. I'd Knock off a little early go run all my spots and mark them. I, I moved off the golf balls, just so you know, okay. but a sinker and the smallest bobber. foam bobber you can find, and yeah, it's yeah. all retrievable and you don't have to leave golf balls anywhere. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and and so nobody can, you know, you, you throw down a buoy on a bed, you're asking for trouble because people can see your stuff mm-hmm. um, in a tournament. So, you go find those, and then even prefish them a little bit, and just see how they're behaving. Because if they're running away from the bait immediately every time, just skip it. Let totally. let your competitor play with that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you you kind of get your milk run of of how you want this to go. And and it was um, it was pretty it was pretty gnarly because I was I was I was winning a lot of tournaments like yeah. essentially all of them. <laughs> and there was a point at which I decided. Well, and here's the thing to know about Lake Austin. Is when the water levels are right and Travis up above, the spawn can go
0: uh, a w- a long into time. July, yeah.
1: like late July. They'll continue to spawn, and so you've got this guy that knows how to find the beds and catch these big monster fish yep. consistently every tournament. And it started to make the tournament not a lot of fun. And so I would, I would, if I won two tournaments in a row, I'd skip the next tournament really? just because I, I felt like it was truly bad for the sport. Interesting. Yeah yeah wow i didn't know that yeah it, it, uh, on the flip side though you know d- just being spending that many hours only sight fishing mm-hmm. i i don't i don't have a re- well-rounded set of skills honestly <laughs> i'm <laughs> yeah. very lopsided to yeah. sight fishing and i think other fishermen are way more balanced and effective you know year-round than i am because it's so tough. much of my time and energy goes into that
0: yeah it it can become an addiction. I oh, definitely I felt that at times. Oh.
1: It's I think it's on par with swim baiting,
0: not as expensive as swim baiting. But where some guys go out there and they try to throw a jig and they say, you know, scratch this, I gotta throw a glide bait again.
1: Yeah. With, For me, I think um sight fishing is always amazing. Um but you add the the element of the clock with a tournament going on there mm-hmm. and the adrenaline is peaked. There was one night I lost a six pounder three times. And, um, there were multiple beds near me that I, I, and you got to make these choices. Like, do I, am I going to get her again? And I, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I like, I stopped and I had to turn around, catch my breath. I was so (laughs) amped up. It was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be okay. Yeah. (laughs) Got to relax. This is not that important. And I, eventually uh, that was my biggest, uh, solo night. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I was 28 pounds and change. Uh I, um, I caught, I caught her and several others. And then there was, um. I had a, I had like a three pound coal I needed to get rid of, and there was a bed I'd seen in the dark in front of a dock, and I just stopped, in the dark. It was like five minutes to get to weigh in, and I made one cast with a dead stick Senko. It's just waiting, 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 uh-huh. and I pull up, and there's weight on it, and I hooked that thing in one cast, and and flipped in another six pounder. Yeah. just unbelievable. Threw out the small one, got the just upgraded three <clears throat> pounds or so. And I grabbed the key on the boat and was like, you better start. (laughs) 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 And, I mean, I hit the deck with, like, a minute to spare. It Uh was like that was one of the highest rushes of my life. That's awesome. It was amazing.
0: Now, you've also had, you know, when when sight fishing and really this tournament started, I I would say, I I even felt it, it started to get less camaraderie and more competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least when I joined in 2014 2015. Yeah. And you you said that you had a run in with a guy where he was almost you you guys were racing to a bedfish were you not? Yeah. Yep. And uh, uh your boat was a little bit faster than his mm-hmm. and he was he was trying to catch up to you and you know to, <laughs> what, what what happened to the Austin scene <laughs> that it became like that? Well,
1: so this this deal was pretty, it was wild, and then it got too big. Mm-hmm. You know, I think 14 to 20 boats was, like, kind of the thing. And yeah. Austin's a very narrow lake, mm-hmm. and we'd do a shotgun start. They would uh, have a bullhorn or honk a horn or somebody would say go, and then it was a race. And then, you know, this is when, in the advent of when wakeboarding, mega wake boats were just starting to really develop. Totally. And there, just a few years earlier, you wouldn't interface a wave like that at 70 miles an hour, you know. Exactly. Um, and the shotgun start's a lot of fun. Uh-huh. It's fun to race, but the boat's too... The, the lake's just too narrow. It is. And then we would start getting 40, 50 people out there, and a yeah. shotgun start is insanity. So, I don't know if I want to go too deeply into that uh-huh. story, but it got personal. Yeah. Because um, we're, we're all out there looking for fish, and then people uh in this specific case he was like this is my fish and it's like is it <laughs> <laughs> i don't really know yeah i guess whoever gets there first is their fish but exactly. uh, you know we're all playing the same game and it's a sport and we we saw it differently and he took it personally and there was uh some swerving that was occurring and some really scary things that happened that yeah. even the police were asking questions about the next day so we we uh, avoided a collision yeah um and uh, you know, everybody forgave everybody when it was all over. I think. Yeah. So. uh but I, you know, realizing, you know, myself, I got, I got, I, co- I totally get where this guy's at because I got consumed. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was such an addiction um, that it was, it was interfering with my personal life. Like I, I, I was wildly addicted to this and yeah. winning, and you know, and, and you know, were gonna five hundred bucks or something. But it was really all yeah, about yeah. the ego and of about. Course. Being the guy that wins.
0: Yes. And uh, I definitely feel that in, in not the necessarily Lake Austin Wednesday night tournament scene, but in the YouTube side of things. But we've been talking about Lake Austin and the the treasure that it was. And so for those of y'all who don't know, Lake Austin is part of a chain of lakes in Texas called the Highland Chain of Lakes. Starts with Buchanan and then Inks, LBJ, Marble Falls, Travis, Austin, Ladybird. Yep. And so that's kind of the chain of lakes. They've all been good in their own regards at times, uh, but Lake Austin was the gem out of all of them. Uh, the reason for, I think for it is is that it comes out of the bottom of Lake Travis, mm-hmm. so the water is colder. Uh, large bass, at least in Texas, when you have cold water in a hot climate, it stays in that perfect, yep. perfect temperature range where a largemouth bass can just grow.
1: Yeah. You'd, you'd see 60 <coughs> on the upper end, um, low sixties uh, all the way through August. Yeah. And so the fish didn't get the strain, the summer strain that they get in other lakes.
0: Exactly. And then not just the water clarity, you had the abundance of forage. That came from the abundance of cover and structure, mm-hmm. being hydrilla. Hydrilla is the best grass for bass. There's no <laughs> question about it. It is the best. And whoever introduced it to Lake Austin, for the time being, was a genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it allowed fish to grow at a, at a pace and a size that most lakes in the world didn't have.
1: Yeah. We had, wait, before they put the carp in to kill it, there mm-hmm. was mats in the middle of the lake with birds walking on them. And so there would be a channel. Just a mat, It's a river. It really is a flooded river. Yeah. And there's a uh, propeller channels on the left and on the right and birds walking in the middle. And probably, you know, on that upper end where it was really thick, maybe yeah. 40 feet deep. Exactly. And the hydro coming all the way to the top.
0: Yep. So you could you could literally punch in yeah. 30 feet of water. Mm-hmm. Um the frog bite was unbelievable. I mean, it was it was ranked number eight on the Bassmaster list. I think it was better than eight.
1: Well, it's tiny too, right? Yeah, I mean, of course. I, it's, yeah, it's hilarious. And so it's how long is it? Oh man, not long. It's it's a tiny lake. Yeah. You can run that whole thing in what fifteen minutes? Fifteen minutes. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's 50 it's, miles, probably. Yeah,
0: fifteen miles long, and uh, like you said, it's basically just a a small river, a, yeah. dam- a dammed up river, and. The amount of, I guess I'll, I'll kind of go over some tournament results, and I think I, I went on the TTZ, which is the it, w- it was the premier tournament uh, trail for here in the central Texas mm-hmm. area. They had, of course, trail events on Lake Travis, Lake LBJ, Lake Austin, uh, but they hosted the Wednesday Nighters, which is kind of the ones that we, we think and talk about the most. And it seems like in 20, 2009, when I looked at some first things, every Wednesday nighter was won with anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds Mm -hmm. in 2009 with a big bass being a five pounder. Um, of course you had the, there's a winter open that the Reeds, Dale and Jake, some legends around here. They won it with 25 pounds, big bass of 11. But besides those full Saturday tournaments, the Wednesday nighters didn't really do that well until you started getting to, let's see. There was one tournament in 09 that won with 30. It was Dale and Jake Reed again. Mm -hmm. Um, but then again, a few a few 12s. Once you got to 2010, it was taking 23 pounds to win with a 10-pounder. The next week, we had 21 pounds to win. Uh, and this keep in mind, this is on a Wednesday night. Three half hours, the, yeah. Three hours, half the <laughs> tournament taking place in the dark. Um, again, 21 pounds to win the next week. What year are we in? Still 2010, 23. So it, it jumped from being 13 pounds to 21, to 25 pounds yeah. in, in one year. And that's just 2010. As soon as we start getting to 2011, it was 24 to 27 pounds, 25 pounds. Um, these guys at 25 with a 10.7. Then you get to 2012. And that is when I think it, it seems, at least for the, the, the data that I saw, it seems mm. to really explode. Yeah. Because you had the Waldrip brothers yep. that won almost everything.
1: Yep. They were fierce competitors. <laughs>
0: they, uh, they won this Wednesday night tournament with 37.9 pounds. That was a that was just a 3-hour tournament yeah. to catch 37.9 and they didn't even win Big Bass in that tournament. The big bass was Charles Whitehead with a thirteen point five nine. Were mm. you in that? Were you in that tournament?
1: I think I was, hey, yeah. or if I was, not I would just miss that week. Um, gotcha. Andy, my friend Andy. Andy was fishing with. Yeah, he netted. He's netted several thirteen pound fish. I knew that would be the the case. Which it, is
0: just unbelievable. And then the next year, another Wednesday night fish that was, um, where is it at? Uh, well, the Reeds caught a few more tens. It was thirteen point four five, caught by. Uh, Colin Pack who was a high school kid and so every year the fishing kept getting better and better until it kind of climaxed in 20, 2014 and 2015 are kind of the climax mm-hmm. of Lake Austin and uh, I think it was the last tournament before the downfall which we'll talk about uh, guys won with 43 point two pounds pounds and their big fish was only an 8.1.
1: Wow, they caught five eights. <laughs> they caught five eight-pounders. <laughs> That's a day. It really is. Oh, my gosh.
0: And the big bass that tournament was 11.4. There was a 10.6. Uh, it took 21 pounds to even get yeah. a check yeah. in that tournament. But what happened was Lake Austin, while it's a beautiful bass lake, it's a bass fisherman's paradise, or was, it became a wakeboarder and pleasure boat paradise because the water temperature was nice Mm -hmm. so people could you know in the summertime not have to you know swim in a hot tub of lake travis which has 95 degree water temps in the summer and it also is surrounded every piece of land by a very expensive piece of property and the amount of mansions that are on lake austin is is mind-blowing there's 10 20 million dollar houses on lake austin and i guess i don't know how much we want to go into it but Homeowners decided they didn't like the hydrilla, and they they have more money and, and more power than the fishermen do. Sadly, they got, they got it done, and so they decided to work with Texas Parks and Wildlife to introduce. I think I saved uh, saved a link of it. I think it was forty three thousand.
1: I don't remember the number. It was grass carp. too many.
0: Just in that first year alone, there was uh, forty three thousand. Did I not send the email? I must have not sent it, but there was, I think, 43,000 Asian grass carp. And they had every thought and every plan for the carp to just, you know, keep the grass in check. Because it was too much. I've heard stories of of the grass being, you know, matted across the entire lake. Boats couldn't get through. Props were getting stuck in it. And so
1: they wanted to control it, of course. Yeah, they definitely overshot on their carp quantities. I I thought I'd heard later that Parks and Wildlife was... um Upset about how that went, and yes, yeah.
0: Parks and Wildlife has since uh, put out statements saying that they were they were wrong in their assessment of how many were needed, mm. and uh, they also said the grass carp were selective in what they ate, so they only ate hydrilla and milfoil. I have, I wish I had video proof. I should have taken videos. I have mental proof of. Lily pads going under the water, and there was cattails or reeds, you know, whatever you want to call them. Chomping them them down. Yeah. They were lining the lake for, like, almost the whole lake was covered in cattails, and the flipping bite and the frog bite Mm. was awesome. And I would see a cattail shake, and I've literally seen one, a cattail, swimming across the water because a a carp had it in its mouth. They're gone. And so every shred of vegetation, whether it was invasive or native, uh, was killed within a year. Yeah. And Lake Austin went from being a bass fisherman's paradise to a mud hole. Yep, the mud hole is the exact description. <laughs> Which is just, it's its such a bummer for, <laughs> for many reasons. Um, and yeah. so since then, no tournament trails have gone to Lake Austin. The, winds, yeah. the Wednesday nighters are gone. And uh, it's, just, it's just frustrating. Yeah,
1: it's sad to see. It really is. So I, in the 80s, I think they had, I'm told that back in the 80s they had this, same hydrilla situation okay and the guys were doing the tournaments and punching and they'd get the scrapes and just six seven eight pounds out of one hole mm-hmm. kind of a deal i've I've caught a few fish punching deep like that but never the experience that those guys have told me about exactly but they uh they killed it some some way earlier so i'm not oh, sure what really? the, yeah they took it out and got it so it's done this cycle again uh, my guess is is that we'll we'll see it come back someday and mm-hmm. The the same dummies will kill it all, and exactly. when, but we'll maybe have this little window of perfection.
0: And that was so. So I started bass fishing hardcore. You know, I'm 23. So I started when I was in middle school, and that was in 20. You know, 12 is really when I started bass fishing.
1: I bet my bass boat was probably the first bass boat you were on.
0: Yes. I believe he. I believe your ranger was the first yeah. boat I, I was ever on, bass boat-wise. Yeah,
1: we went out at night and <coughs> took your dad out, and I drove way too fast, and you were super excited, and it was a lot of fun.
0: And you <laughs> took us to the uh, the aquarium, which was a, a cool spot back in the day, just because of how much like, the water was gin. And, they, of course, with hydrilla, you're going to have clear water. So this lake was prime for sight fishing and prime for yeah. this, just everything bass fishing-wise. And uh, the swim bait scene grew huge so the guys that threw the big glide baits i'm actually going filming with one of the kids today they kind of got known for that and there was a guy named alan who had a youtube channel just for swim baiting yeah. and i think he used to fish regular lures as well and he just became a swim bait guy yeah, it's exclusive And i think his biggest limit out there was 45 or 50 Wow, was his biggest limit on video i'll, I'll link it Crazy. down below and so i didn't know what i had growing up in my backyard you know, we sold the wakeboard boat, we bought a, a bass boat and you know, I thought that oh, there's too many weeds. You know, I get I get the I get my lure stuck on the weeds and I can't tell if I have a bite. And so, I slowly started to get accustomed to Lake Austin, caught some good fish, but I was not at the skill level even close to where I am today and I just didn't know Oof. the gem that I had. Now you you did you knew the gem but you didn't know it was gonna go away.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah how could you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, to take it for granted when it's in your backyard. Literally. You, exactly. Like I have so much respect for the guys that, um, you know, can go to any lake and and make that top ten list. That that yeah. impresses the heck out of me. And I I am I'm, I'm an okay fisherman everywhere. I was phenomenal on Lake, <laughs> on Lake Austin <laughs> <laughs> in that in that era. But yeah. um yeah, I'm still like I'm still scratching my head about, you know, Lake Travis in the winter and some of these other lakes mm-hmm. and I, LBJ is completely lost to me. I don't Yeah. I don't get it. But um yeah, so I I don't I I feel uh I it was just fun, man. It was fun. Um Andy and I um just you know, you hit a partner that um runs at your pace and, mm-hmm. and you're not conflicting all the time. I, I've i fished with people totally that are constantly throwing ideas at you. None of them gel, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, I'm not feeling any of that stuff that you're, you know, and it's just not fun. Exactly. And then you get the right person in the boat with you. And somebody's like, I think we've been here too long. It's <laughs> like, yep. And then boom, we hit and go, you know, and it's just like, we well, you're just in sync all night. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's really fun. And and he and I too seem like, um, you know, one of us was always hitting, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just like we'd run out of our, our spots and go fish a random place and he would catch a nine pounder. I'd catch a seven, just completely random. And next thing you know, we're in the top two or three, you know? Exactly. So... I don't know. It was one of those one of those cool magical uh, partnerships that just really really worked well. But uh, yeah, just uh, but uh, other than that, organizationally, I didn't have any involvement okay, with it. Gotcha. I just uh, was really close friends with Andy. And yeah, sorry to see him head to Houston. It was a yeah. big big bummer. Exactly.
0: <laughs> it, it was a big bummer to me just to see the 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 the, the tournament scene decline. Because right as I was getting into it, I would go to the Wednesday nighters. I'd pay the 20 bucks or whatever it was a person and you know at that point they, d- they didn't do shotgun start they had a, a numbered start mm-hmm. but just to get like a cheap tournament experience with the possibility of catching big fish yeah. was just incredible yeah
1: you can make a thousand bucks i exactly. mean that's better than a sharp stick in the eye, right <laughs> yeah what was the entry fee anymore i don't remember I, it might have been 40 bucks a person I, something like that but it was still i mean that is yeah. pretty
0: dang cheap and uh you know to finally get into my bass fishing skills and knowledge and to have the lake tank was just such a bummer. Uh, yeah. and, and so since then, Texas Parks and Wildlife has tried to put in brush piles and artificial, you know, the PVC things that have the, the poles yeah. sticking out, but nothing has seemed to work. The grass carp are still there. Five years later, They, I think they've reproduced. I'm sure Texas Parks and Wildlife would fight me on that and say they don't. They're sterile, but I've I've seen very small grass carp. So
1: <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> so,
0: they're uh, <laughs> no, naturally occurring, hmm. um, but I'm 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 hoping and praying that one day we
1: we see some grass. Sprouting back up again almost guarantee it you think so oh yeah you those roots are still well, I think well we had hydrilla in Lake Travis a couple years ago right That's like true. how is that possible? yeah yeah and this thing fluctuates 60 feet and somehow or another so it's around uh-huh. I think it'll find it likes it there so I think yes, it'll it inevitably there's bound to be some fishermen just throwing it in when they when they can it's illegal <laughs> it's illegal we are not uh, we are not promoting that.
0: But Just you, saying that it might
1: occur. That's so, all I'm so saying.
0: hydrilla might occur in Lake Austin. <laughs> and the cool thing I talked about forage a little bit is that they had the biggest crawfish I have
1: ever seen. They're lobsters yeah. in that lake. Like mm-hmm. I would,
0: I would like p- flip over a rock in Lake Austin, and usually when you slip over a rock in a creek, you see a crawfish about this big. There were crawfish that were <laughs> like the ones that you at a crawfish boil that you look for. You, you yeah. peel through to it's find the good ones in the boil. It's intense. They were all that size. Yeah,
1: you were know, honkers in there.
0: And so. Just uh, an incredible, incredible place. But uh, you know, with with fishing aside, of course, we want to talk about the business side of things too. So, when you when you moved here when you were ten to yeah. Austin, did you? I guess what are your what did your parents do? Uh,
1: my dad's a plumber, okay. so he did new construction um, plumbing. And um, the the economy was tanking in Colorado. We came here in mm-hmm. eighty five, and it was actually tanking here too. Okay, kind of a struggle. Um, yeah, and so uh, when I was 13, um, my dad just, he just really struggled to get a job. He found some, uh, got a contract on a low income housing project in near Pueblo, Colorado and said, you're coming with me this summer. We bought a motor home and I started working with him when I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And so this was seven days a week, mom, sister back in Texas. And it's just, he and I had nothing to do, but a whole lot of plumbing and he didn't have enough people to help him get it done. So yeah. We, we got up early and, and rolled up the extension cords in the dark every single day, seven days a week. And that apparently worked out so well that my parents decided to start homeschooling me that fall. Mm-hmm. And so I would do schoolwork in the morning <laughs> until noon. And then my dad would come home for lunch, and then I would work the rest of the day with him. And then that went to a six-day-a-week gig. Got it. Um, yeah, and st- same like, I mean, noon to dark every day. So I've been plumbing. I, I, I effectively missed my teenage years. I went from kid to adulthood. Okay. Um, and that's been my life. I got my journeyman's license when I was 17. Got my master's when I was 20. And I met Sarah around that same time. We got married when I was 21. Yeah. yeah and then I started the Radiant business. It wasn't called Radiant then, but my first business okay. was Brad Casebeer Plumbing, LLC. Got it. In, um I was 23 years old.
0: Wow. Yeah. Was there uh? A- a big competition in the plumbing industry when you were twenty, twenty-three.
1: You know, it's it a really funny thing. So when I was 19, uh-huh. I, I started taking some night college courses because being homeschooled, you know, you just kind of want to test yourself against the world exactly. and make sure you didn't get totally ripped off. And <laughs> I, it was like, I got some good grades and I was like, I'm capable of doing this um, if I wanted to. But right about that same time, I had a uh, a cousin-in-law graduate with a business degree and the best job he could get, it, it was literally in the lingerie department at Target for like twelve bucks an hour. Oh goodness! And I'm making more money than most of my friends' parents at this age with yeah. my plumbing license. And plumbers are dying. They're not. They're people aren't coming into this trade. Uh-huh. And so you're like, okay, I can go get a business degree and compete with the masses for low-paying jobs, mm-hmm. or I stick with this and my competition's dying off, and the value's got to go up over time. Totally. So at 19, I made a strategic decision yeah. that I think my best future is going to be in the trades. Uh-huh. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So I was right. You, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very good call. Dang. And it's still true today because not enough people are coming into the trades. And like, it, we, I don't know that we have probably more than 70% of the Licensed plumbers that work at Radiant today are making you know more than a hundred thousand a year.
0: Seventy percent.
1: Yeah, and then and then wow. we've got guys installing air conditioning. The dude mm-hmm. that replaces your air conditioner in your attic when it goes out in the summer, mm-hmm. that guy's making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, yeah, and they don't they don't have to pay for school. They don't have the debt. They don't have all that lost time. They just start earning immediately. You get paid to learn. Exactly. So it's it's a really cool deal. Exactly. And and it's not uh, that's not going to change for a long time. It's just, they're going to make more, really. It, it,
0: is, it is so surprising to me. I mean, and I, I went to college just because I kind of wanted the Aggie experience to yeah, be an yeah. Aggie, and I'm glad I did, but I see so many of my f- students, or my friends in college that had no clue what they want to do, and I'm lucky because I had this lined up. I had yeah. the, the YouTube thing, the social media, phishing, and not many people have that, and so to hear, you know, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs yeah. talk about the trades and and he's right, you know that that this is a viable field for people who want a career that yeah. is that is stable, obviously recession proof and pandemic pandemic, pandemic proof yeah. because people are still going to fix their toilets and, you know, they want air conditioning because we live in, in Texas. Yeah. And so it's just uh it's wild to me to yeah. to see still, to hear from you that it's still and, and not a growing industry as oh, it should no. be. Oh, no,
1: there's not enough people coming in. It, it, we're all fighting so hard for the same employees. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, uh, with, with coronavirus in March, we had a blip for about two or three weeks where our call volume slowed down, and then mm-hmm. everybody just, you've got to get this stuff fixed. It's not a choice. And exactly. so, super interesting. Um, we mentioned earlier about us um, selling a percentage of the company to a private equity firm. Mm-hmm. The... Um, Private equity is is um, given a certain hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars to invest in, and their mm-hmm. their businesses that they buy need to perform a little bit better than the stock market. That's the goal. Got it. And um, the they there's not a lot for them to invest in right now. Okay. And so, what um, many companies like, if you own a fitness center or you or you're in hospitality or something like that. Nobody wants to buy a company right now. Yeah. <laughs> Not interested. Um so but these guys have to invest this money and so the interest in our sector just went through the roof. Wow. And so the valuations on our business have always been high. But when the coronavirus it literally doubled. It two X'd th- the value of our business overnight because they discovered it's uh that's always been a good business, but it's also pandemic proof. Who knew? Yeah. So yeah, and and you know, we grew um, over sixty percent. We've got a few more days left in the year uh-huh. to <laughs> see where we land, but <laughs> to keep it's going, north of sixty percent growth uh, this year. And
0: do you think that's because people are home more? And they are more in tune with what things are broken in their house.
1: No, um, I, I think everybody did well during the pandemic. In in it just I think it was stable. I think our industry was stable. Okay, on fire because it's got some crazy marketing that uh-huh. we've been investing in for so long yes. uh, that it just has crazy brand awareness and traction. And mm-hmm. you, you know, we started uh, the Radiant brand in 2012. I guess no, that's not right. Oh like radio my numbers was a little are... before that, wasn't it, it? We started on the radio in uh, 2012. Oh, radio. That's what it, yeah. So, yes. So the, in, in, this is a Brad and Sarah, and Brad's always kind of an out there character, and Sarah's always trying to reel him back in. Uh-huh. I'm inventing tools and, you know, importing Russian technology to uh-huh. clog unclog drains and things of that nature. And so just kind of a fun ad campaign that I think people related to and liked. Yeah. And then it was just absolute steroids when we went on TV a couple of years ago. That's just yeah. been like through the roof and, and our call volumes have just, just accelerated like mad.
0: Yeah, so I want to talk about that. So you started your own business when you were 23. Yep. Brad's Plumbing Company. Yep. Then you changed, what was the name changed to Radiant? Yeah. In how or how quick?
1: I guess that was 2006. Okay. And my Sarah... Um, this was her idea. She wanted to start a service branch. Uh-huh. She was like, I'm doing some research, and I think service is, you know, it's going to be more recession-proof. Uh-huh. And um, the, the cash flow, you get paid the moment of service. And in construction, you're always chasing down money. And so it's scary. Oh, you were
0: doing construction plumbing. Yeah. Got it. Okay.
1: Yeah. So this was, and it was, the company's name was Brad Caspier Plumbing LLC, which is a terrible service name. (laughs) So we decided to go radiant. We really liked the word. We liked the vibe and what it projected and felt, you know, we just really felt right that Uh that was our name. So we, we locked that down, picked our orange and blue. And um, you know, we start sending out like postcards and stuff and Sarah was yeah. the service manager, the dispatcher, the C S R, everything. Mm-hmm. And we had one tech. And um wow. we just started slowly investing in that and eventually we got enough money scrapped together that we bought started doing some radio ads. And then and then we started to build a recognizable brand in Austin. Exactly. And, like at this point, yeah, it's it, we're absolutely the most dominant brand in austin there's there's probably some bigger i don't really care much about what anybody's doing yeah not that interested there's probably Uh some bigger companies out there but no one's built a a, the level of brand recognition we have like i can talk to a 10 year old kid uh randomly on the street and they'll probably if i said pick a plumbing or air conditioning company (laughs) it would be us it would be the only one he would know totally which is
0: just wild yeah i like the only jingles that i knew in middle school were like uh, Gaddy's Pizza, one yeah. eight um, uh, hundred Steamer Stanley Steamer makes mm-hmm. carpet cleaner in yours. Yeah, that's hilarious. Like that—that's the only ads that actually you know f- stuck with me on the on the on the radio. And what what do you think makes you know your your ads both radio and TV so um, rememberable
1: or Yeah, whatever, that's, not, that's not a word. Memorable. You say rem- memorable it, it works <laughs> though. It, rememberable. I, I kind of love it. Um, so, the one we're brave enough to be silly and make fun of ourselves yeah um, that's key you have to you have to be willing to have fun the the number one problem everyone has is they <laughs> they think that the consumer cares about their product, okay, no one cares about plumbing or air conditioning <laughs> no one, <laughs> yeah, I guess so, no, no one, no mm. one cares, no one, everybody's the best, everybody's. You know quality dependable, honest, and like you're not you're if you have a business, it's automatically assumed you can do the function right that, that's true, so me telling you that in an ad is just insanity, what yeah. a waste of money to tell you I can actually fix your toilet, you know like nobody and nobody I cares. sure hope so. I sure hope you can exactly <laughs> <I'll> be, i <laughs> how could you not and so but this is what people say in their ads, yeah, this is what they do, and they um and and they uh they get excited and geek out about some new technology or efficiency on an air conditioner customers don't care. Yeah. They only care when it's broken. Exactly. And then the question is is who who you know what what is it that's going to resonate with them in that moment, you know? And they're going to still even with all of our branding they still go Google plumbing repair Austin. Now they're going to see the list of people and our hope is is something memorable connected and they say oh wait i think i like these guys for some reason that's yeah. the that's the goal exactly and it's like you know we don't do coupons we don't do sales we don't do any of that stuff we just entertain this is entertainment brought to you by radiant plumbing and air conditioner mm-hmm. that's, that's what we that do that is funny yeah wow yeah
0: and so, when it comes to your your ads, I'll, I'll include some of them in this in this podcast. I'll kind of chop them in and out. You've had some funny radio ones where you know you, you kind of mentioned that Sarah, is always, his wife Sarah, is kind of drag you back in, and you have all these crazy ideas. And um, what is your most memorable? I think from like a, uh, a consumer standpoint, like what do you think the consumers remember most of all your radio ads and all of your TV, social media ads?
1: I don't know. Um the the radio ones, man, that's going back so many years. Uh-huh. There's a battery of them. Um there's we'll get comments all the time. Um I, I don't know. There's one where I think I maybe. maybe it's just my favorite, yeah, let's but go with, I, let's there's go with one your where we were um we were going in a hot air balloon and the idea was we we're going to jump out and parachute to customers to get to them faster. faster. And it's just a cute ad. Uh-huh. Um and that that one's super fun. Um definitely enjoy that one. And you get comments on that. And then you have... uh, We did have the jingle. We don't use it much anymore. But that was our kids singing Radiant Man, Radiant Man. Um, And it's like off the... Well, the inspiration was Homer Simpson doing Spider Pig. Yep. But uh, (laughs) the... (laughs) You know, and then people love that. And then they'd find out that's our kids and they'd meet our kids and get all excited. And then yeah. they'd say, oh, we met celebrities today, which is very weird to have people <laughs> tell you that as a, a plumber. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you have a low bar for celebrity. <laughs> that's, that's cool, man. I'm glad, I'm glad you're happy. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, but on TV, um, you just have to say, hands down, um, the Toilinator – Uh, Man, that thing went went viral. I had a friend in Grand Rapids, Michigan call me, and he's like, dude, they're talking about your TV ad on my radio station. Mm -hmm. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. We must destroy the mother toilet. We will not
0: stand for a toilet takeover. We've got bowel movement. Turn on all frequencies. Alpha team, status report. I can see the mother toilet now. Go! Now! The toilets have taken over the squad commander. He's been covered in mud. That's not mud. It must be dominated. Come with me if you want the flash. Run to flash.
1: Funge me!
0: We got to wipe the white feet. I'm
1: gonna boil it, baby. For all your plumbing AC and drain needs, Just call Radiant. Come on, what are you doing? Pick up the phone now. So that one that one's funny. I think just a personal favorite that I always wanted to do is the uh, Kung Poo. It's a it's a kickoff of Kung Pao Enter the Fist uh-huh. with bad overdubbing. Yeah. And like that, it's just one I always wanted to do.
0: Yeah. And just haven't, haven't got it done yet? No, it's done. It's out. Oh, it's you, yeah. You'll have to look that one up. <laughs> okay. Good. It's,
1: it's a personal favorite of mine. I don't know if it's a fan favorite, but. Got it. It's super fun to create. Um, you know, and we purposely filmed it all with lines not being definitely wrong lines for what we overdubbed later. Okay. Change Sarah and voices and all of it. Like, it's like. Uh, it's just a bad kung-fu movie, yeah. you know? Radiant! No! <laughs> mm. what? Plumbing and AC are out of control! I... <laughs> <laughs> if you're
0: plumbing, your plumbing or AC is out of control... Just call radio. Yeah, where the words don't line up with what you're saying.
1: Very on purposely. And it's like, it's funny because on the first draft, and I love video creation. Uh I love editing. I love sound tracking. All of it's just very, uh, very natural for me. And we were told we couldn't build ads, that we can't afford it. Mm -hmm. You don't have the budget for it. And I went out and I got a Sony camera, got some lights, and we just started doing them anyways. Just do it in-house. And so... You can get all are you primo gear for like six grand. Like you've got, uh-huh. and and one ad of the caliber we're putting out would be ten minimum for a worst yeah. ad, to twenty mil, twenty thousand dollars to yeah. have somebody produce that one ad. Exactly. But we own all the gear for six, and we just keep pumping them out. And so yeah, we have uh, this talent team that was is three people besides myself in marketing and. Uh, we, we put out at least one of these a, a month, and I, I think they're very high quality, very memorable. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's been a lot of fun. Okay. I uh, want to go in a movie someday or something else maybe, okay. but I love film. Like, it's just been the most fun.
0: It's, I, it's, it's becoming apparent to me why Radiant is so successful. How many employees you have now? Almost 200? Yeah. Almost 200 employees. How many trucks do you have out on on a given day doing plumbing? I
1: actually don't know, but I I, okay. th- I think our fleet's um, live in the field is yeah. uh, you know it's probably 80 90 trucks are, are doing service right now. Yeah, while we're all over chatting, all over the city, all <laughs> yeah. over the city
0: of Austin, yeah. uh, plumbing, you know, air conditioning, all that kind of stuff. It's becoming apparent to me why you're so successful because when you think of a plumber, you think of a guy with a you know. Show, his butt crack showing, <laughs> and he's probably drinking a beer on the job or smoking a cigarette you know, around the corner, and kind of bland. And you know, I watched one of your commercials on the way over here, like from six years ago, and you said that you can tell when an employee's having a bad day because they just say, "I'm here to fix your," st- "I'm here to fix your thing," mm-hmm. and that's always what I thought of plumbers. They're kind of bland. They're 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 dry. But you are the opposite of that. Yeah. And you have such a creative mind that. I love that line. It is entertainment brought to you by Radiant Plumbing.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really cool, man. And it's like, so that's me. Uh, and I, I absolutely have that passion And as a leader. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible um, what the leadership's belief is and how that translates down through your culture. Totally. Um, you know, and, and then with our hiring, like this is, we insist on this. We have a our training room pre-COVID. Um, it, you know, we can see... Several hundred people in there, and we've got a disco ball toilet. 7 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, we've got rave music literally going. Uh-huh. People are upbeat. We got strobe lights, smoke machines. Like this is a weekly <laughs> company plumbing meeting. Yeah. And uh, you know, we, I get up on stage. We kick on some music and, and play it way too loud. Everybody bounces in sync. huh. That's how we start our meeting. Just get everybody awake and in a good state. Yeah. And then we review numbers. We talk about charitable things we're doing celebrate our five star reviews cuz that's what it's all about is totally. delivering killer service to the customers and leave everybody pumped up you know and i we'll have uh applicants uh come to this meeting yeah um because <laughs> I so I there's no way you're not going to talk about this meeting after you've been here and yes. they they go what are our competitors doing you know you're going to uh-huh. like like uh go to some crappy shop and, you know, some guy looking mean at you and say, (laughs) are you going to show up every day, son? You know, I mean, that's, that's probably the interview that they're experiencing and we're just sucking them into our culture and like, no, we're, we're about having fun, taking care of our customers and being the best. That's what we want to do, you know? And, and so just, just kind of pushing that fun and energy down into the company is crucial, you know? But so many people think that the marketing is going to repel people because they don't think we'll be professional or something It's wild okay it doesn't work that way no that it doesn't way. seems to seems to be working for us um and then i've had other oh. people too because we're talking about m- going multi-location around the u.s mm-hmm. and they're like well you're probably gonna you that's an austin thing you hmm. probably couldn't do that same marketing in like cleveland and i said do people not have a sense of humor in cleveland yeah Surely they do, do. People not like music in Cleveland. Yeah, I thought <laughs> <laughs> people were people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting to uh, to see what that that leads us to. But my belief is, is people want to have fun. And then when when you do have that emergency and you get on our website, it's not we're not funny anymore. We're mm-hmm. just just a normal website. Exactly. If your house is flooding, you probably don't need a joke in your life right now. Yeah. And we get that, and so but the the number one thing is being memorable. So, so something super funny we did not know. Um, and I guess some context here. All of our trucks have pictures of our employees doing antics on the sides of them. Yes, they do. So people are flying through the air, catching a, a toilet like a football, uh-huh. or you know, uh, skydiving the condenser, you know, blowing them up in the air, and things like that. Exactly. Various poses, and, and they're um, they're just fun. They're just fun. They're engaging, and so you see, are are without the human being, the truck is kind of dramatic because it's big, blue, orange, and bold, uh-huh. bright. But then you have a human being, your brain has to process the human being. Exactly. Like, you can't not process that. And so, like, if you see a billboard every day, you've seen it two or three times, you're never going to see it again. Yeah. Your brain says, this is not useful, and it becomes invisible to you. Exactly. And the radiant truck would do the same thing. Now, trucks have the advantage of being mobile, so Mm -hmm. you see them in other contexts, but still, it's the radiant truck. But with ours, it's like, what radiant truck? Because you have different things going on, and it kind of makes you reengage with the brand over and over again yeah so little things like that leave a huge impact but what we didn't know is kids love our brand hmm. kids love our brand they love the trucks interesting they love the we get kids referring their parents to us all the time wow and what's that going to do when those people are homeowners 10 15 years from now yeah they they already know who their plumbing company is exactly so I feel sorry for our competitors, but I think we've already. I think it's done. Yeah, <laughs> I think we, we just keep on our same pace, and exactly. I think we've really really closed the door on Austin as to who the leader's going to be. So we've uh, right. we've already we've got the children. <laughs> <You> <laughs>
0: it's like it's like it's like a cult at this point. <laughs> totally, yeah,
1: yeah. We well, can't have a culture without a little cult. So that is true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that.
0: yeah. You told me before we started talking that you realized you can't. It's not worth competing with the other plumbing and HVAC brands because they're boring. It's worth competing against yeah. Google and, you know, all those tech companies. Cause yeah. I walked in here, for a plumbing company, they have ping pong tables, uh, shuffleboard, of course, that disco toilet where they have 7 a.m. meetings. And that just doesn't exist in the trades. Yeah. It doesn't. No. And so, do you think more people... Uh, take a look at Radiant in other sectors and try to implement what you guys are doing.
1: Maybe so. You know, we keep winning. Uh, we keep winning awards. We're sweeping the awards actually, yeah. which is super cool. I just got uh, two today. They, the Statesman delivered theirs, and it's the theirs is the best of the best. And so, yes, I, I think we're definitely getting some interest from other industries like. Um, clearly when i can't go to work without seeing three radiant trucks you know it's a this is kind of getting to be a thing you know and then and then i'm just showing up with all the awards it's a yeah it's going really well it's super exciting yeah um coronavirus was a little scary and um you know that with that though we really decided you know everybody my employees are just like the The country i think their price the full spectrum from fully freaked out to this isn't even real you know yeah Yeah. and we just are like you know we totally respect everybody's opinion on that but what we have to do is whatever is safe so let's totally let's go let's do the masks let's be let's take all the precautions and uh take care of our human beings because that's the most important thing is that our human beings are safe and if there's a doubt we're going to just take the safe route so and, and that really, you know, our, our employee retention was really good. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of friends in the business who had large portions of their employees not working. They just said, "No, I'm scared. I'm going to just stay home with mm-hmm. my family." Kay. And we had none of that. We had one guy take off a week and then he called and said, "I, I want to get back in. I'm bored." But we were, we, were, we were training them how to be safe. We brought in a uh, okay. we brought in a paramedic to teach him proper donning and doffing of the PPE. Mm -hmm. Just think about it. This guy works, and this is how we had this conversation. Like, this guy works in this environment, and worse, (laughs) every day. There's worse things than coronavirus this man's working with every day, and he trusts his equipment. Mm -hmm. So... If we do it properly, can we trust our equipment? Everybody's like, that seems reasonable. And so, we did a ton of training, and guys had to check off how to take off their stuff because nobody's ever taught us that before. And so, it just it really elevated everyone's confidence, and that's awesome. Yeah, kept everybody showing up.
0: Yeah, and you also said that you know you want to make sure your employees are happy, and part of that is the is the culture. What else do you do? Do you think makes your your company special? Mm -hmm. That I mean, if if other companies during covid had people stay home obviously their job wasn't that fun you had nobody besides one guy for a week go home do you how much can you attribute the fun of the job the the culture and and what else do you do to make sure they're having a good time
1: i think it's huge um the a couple things are really key i think um the the meeting pace is really important we have um we solve problems. We don't just live with problems. And so, if a, there's a weekly meeting where an employee can pose, like I'm having an issue with this thing, I'm not getting these parts on time, or mm-hmm. something's not working right, and we actually like do stuff about that. So it gets on a board. We brain with that group wherever that problem comes up. We make a we make a plan about what our next steps are going to be. Then that becomes a to do that's public. Mm-hmm. And then it's on the manager, whoever takes it to do, to get it done yeah. and then report back in to what the solution is, you know? Totally. And so people don't feel just abandoned with dysfunction, you know? Yeah. And, and it's a we create an environment where it's okay for people to fail. This isn't a, a sink or swim, live or die. Um, one guy worked with us. He used this term, produce, produce or perish. Okay. Um, you know, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is a growth uh, community here. It's about growth. Are you growing? Are you becoming more? Are you learning? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't, your results, uh, you know, if you're on a decline and your attitude's bad, yeah, we're going to have corrective conversations. We're not going to let somebody poison, uh, you know, the, the culture here. But if people are trying and wa- willing to grow and learn, they're welcome, you know, and we just yeah. keep investing in them. We have weekly one-on-ones with our managers. It's an hour, just it's your time to tell me what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. we'll all review some stuff with you and I might have a few questions but really it's your hour to get what you need from me as your manager yeah and that scales from the drivers all the way to me to okay. the top yeah and that's those are those are some things we do that I think are really crucial And I, another thing that's really cool is um every I think it's every five million dollars of revenue if we're over 15 percent net yeah. we buy a, a well for a needy community so cool. that's really cool, yeah. And we're uh, we're getting ready to roll out. Um, we paused that during coronavirus just because we didn't know what was going to happen. We thought we might want to allocate that money to our community. Okay. And we ended up doing a ton of charitable work for people because they just don't have jobs and they had no AC. Exactly. So we had a lot of that going on, um, that's but good. we're getting ready to true up our all of our wells, and so that's going to be yeah. a lot of wells for this year. Very cool for communities all over the U.S. And we use uh, charity water for that okay. initiative, and they'll. It it's yours for that community, and it I has see. your name on it. It's on their website, and you can go look at how many gallons of water year over year. It's so pumping wells out.
0: in the U.S.
1: No, these are all over. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Ethiopia. And Got it. Haiti I, th- and I thought you
0: were saying the U.S. I don't know if we have many wells that need d- digging in the no, U.S. No, no, anymore. No. Okay, yeah, that is incredible.
1: Yeah, so everybody gets to feel like they're part of something um, bigger than just making money. You know, yeah. that's really important.
0: So when you're looking at hiring employees for the people that are listening and watching that want to run their own business uh, and have a culture like you do, do you look for employees that fit the mold 100% right away, or are you looking for a certain percentage and then you think that they could become a radiant person?
1: You know, um, that's a... Depends. Okay. Depends on the manager um, and and what he's got, um, you know, on his deck at the moment. So... I really think a manager's <clears throat> in our businesses really can can keep good tabs on about ten people okay. to s- keep a really good relationship and be communicating with them enough so that they feel connected with. Yeah, that's in our world. Maybe different in other people's, but we we like a lot of direct connection to their human beings. And if he's got one of those as kind of a project employee, that's enough. Okay. you know, you don't want to you don't want to load somebody down with two or three projects because then the, you know the lunatics start running the insane asylum. Yeah, so yeah. You can overwhelm one project person with nine, you know, uh, people that get it, you exactly. know, and, and but there's people that have been so abused and they've got all the right potential and they've never been in an environment where they were safe. Yeah. And so when you show them that, and it's like a, it's like you got a, a rescue dog or something that was beaten, you know, and they're going to snap at you for a mm-hmm. while until they tr- learn to trust. And you can get through that process with some people and it's, We've had some extraordinary turnarounds with people like that that just really needed to experience a a healthy place to work for the first time in their life.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure that some people, like you said, come in like a a rescue dog, Mm -hmm. doubtful about the system or just maybe even they got some personal stuff going on. And because y'all's culture is such a positive place, hopefully they go in and put that not only towards the people that are fixing their house items, but also toward their personal life as well
1: this is, this is, it's really all about the human beings here. It's Mm -hmm. plumbing's plumbing. You know, anybody can fix your plumbing. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's the truth. It's like, it's just, it's not that interesting, but the people is everything. And, and what I found, uh, when Sarah, she started out this deal, um, with this, she met, went to visit a company. They were like Mm 8 million revenue, big shiny trucks, and they had the perfect warehouse. And, I, she came back, told me a story. And it really scared me, you know. Okay. And I was like, um, and I was kind of bothered by it for days. Finally, I figured it out, and I say to her, "I said, you know, my, my, I believe in your vision, and I believe you can do the vision. What I don't see is where I fit in that okay. company. I, yeah. don't, I don't think I'm enough, mm-hmm. you know. And I had to, I had to, I had to get rid of some limiting beliefs about who I was and what I was capable of. Yeah. And in that transform." formative journey that I've been on in becoming who I am now and realizing that I have crazy potential that I wasn't given my self permission to believe in myself exactly um I want to share that with everybody cuz it's i it's, it's just it's everywhere everybody's got these mm-hmm. things that are holding them back and so we're we're all about pushing down um, you know some self belief and some personal development tools that really help people become something more for Whatever. If you work at Radiant for a month or two, you're gonna you're gonna have a different life afterwards. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very impactful place to be.
0: That's incredible. Now, what is kind of switching away from the the business, you know, deep kind of stuff? What's one myth about plumbing that you think people believe out there uh, that is not quite true, hmm. if there is one?
1: There's bound to be a bunch of them. I mean,
0: the the butt crack is not a myth. That is <laughs> that is a real thing. <laughs> Do you require your uh, your people to wear tighter pants? <laughs> <laughs>
1: we uh tucking your shirt in is part of the uh the dress code although it's hard to keep your shirt tucked in when you're up and down all day long. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> we don't we don't spend a lot of time talking about butt crack. That's a that's a low low priority for us. Yep. Um hmm I don't I don't know. Okay. Um yeah, I think um I think people are very confused about how all of it works because it's all quite invisible and um you know what what i th- i'll tell you this you got to be smart to be a plumber you, okay it's it is a complex um you know i think the engineering that's involved with getting your plumbing system working right on the construction phase mm. it's intense because you've got yeah. you've got structural obstacles and there's You've got to run it on grade. You've got to dodge the other trades things. Mm -hmm. And the code is is stringent uh, as to how this all works together. And it's um, absolutely vital to everyone's health and safety that this works well. You know, Mm -hmm. people just don't, it's so taken for granted because it's just been here for so long. But like uh, plumbing is, you know, we would, we would be having fatalities like mad (laughs) without proper plumbing systems. So sanitary waste system it saves <laughs> hundreds of millions of lives every year because exactly. it works correctly and I, and I think people don't understand that they can't just hire a handyman and throw some stuff together, yeah. and it's plumbing. It's it could be actually very dangerous because you're you could be letting sewer gases right into your house, or any number of things could be occurring. So, interesting. I, I think people probably don't respect it the way that they should, because <laughs> it's uh, it takes a lot to learn. And if you if you get your plumbing license and can actually take a set of plans and design a system, you're doing some lightweight engineering right there. Yeah. And it's uh it's pretty cool. And you're getting lightweight engineering job pay as well. If, yeah. you, if you work your way up. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, super cool. So, tell what what about a time that things haven't gone well over Radiant? Because we've talked about the, the slow growth in the last few years have been crazy. You know, investors came in and bought, you know, a portion of the company. That's all great. Was there a time when Radiant wasn't looking so good?
1: You know, um, we, yeah, there's always been challenging times. And a thing I think um, that's really helped Sarah and I, 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 We've always been investing in real estate, mm-hmm. always. And I I, don't, I owned a lot, um, bought my first piece of property when I was 18 years old. Okay. And so I've been buying and selling and just kind of had my hands in real estate to some degree. Exactly. And there's many years where um, we were buying groceries with the money that we got off of our last real estate deal because I wasn't getting paid on jobs and mm-hmm. it was really, we wouldn't have made it without the real estate deal on the side. And it's so okay. hard to start a business from scratch, you know. Um, yeah, there was some, there was a time when I I had, I was going to be late, man. I have such a high degree of honor for paying my bills on time. Yeah. I just like, I'm, I'm just not the guy you run down for money. And I, I just, I was not getting paid by my contractors and none of it was working out. And I came home, I was all stressed out. I literally threw up in the yard before I walked in the house. I sat Mm -hmm. down and I watched the sunset and I made a decision that day. It was like, you know, None of this is worth being that upset over. I just have to, I have exactly. to dial back my association with the outcomes, and whatever the outcomes are, they are. But I can't kill myself over this. Yeah. And I woke up the next day and had a couple of good ideas and got the problem solved, and uh-huh. it was okay, you know. And just, just learning. I think the hard times are um, like coronavirus should have been a hard time, but we we, we thrive on that. Mm-hmm. You know, that was like, it was like cocaine for Sarah and I. We just yeah. like put it into a new gear. It was like, all right, we're gonna solve all this exactly. now. So we kind of I think we were both kind of forged in trouble when we were kids, you know, just the way we were both raised. Mm-hmm. So that none of that really even stands out. I think for me the ultimate challenge has been growing myself ahead of the pace of the company because if okay. I'm if I'm not growing the company can't can't outgrow me. Okay. And so my job is to consume books, to get coaching, to meet mentors, to be challenged and to stretch myself so that I can stay ahead of where this thing's going and that's been um amazing absolutely amazing challenging and and humbling i put myself in some pretty scary rooms with some people uh-huh. uh that i didn't feel like i belonged with and then turned out maybe i maybe i'm enough you know and that's uh i think i i think that's everyone's kind of secret battle is is am i enough you know yeah that they're they're just trying to to uh to not be embarrassed or not let everybody down <laughs> and may play a small game because they uh they don't feel like they they're going to make it there fit in. Exactly. Yeah.
0: This is a really cool conversation. Hopefully people are listening and watching this and, you know, getting ideas for how to form their own business. So, do you think it would be, you know, like much like I got into YouTube and social media before that it was cool for it mm-hmm. was it, before it was hard so i got that that ramp up do you think it's harder for people in 2020 when we're recording this almost 2021 to start their own business or is it easier than what, when it was when you started well it, it you
1: know it's um mm, austin's unique in that uh, we don't have a lot of high high hard playing competitors okay this is a, this is Austin. It's a pretty cool town. Yeah, big town. <laughs> you know, you go to Denver, and there's thirty radiant caliber companies duking it out. Okay, and um, nobody's really nobody's really playing the game here. And so Sarah and I had a big windfall, and that we you know we're in a really great town with really sleepy competition you know hmm. and i think that's going to be true in youtube or anything because you might find a, a niche in youtube that just has not been exploited yet you know exactly and so you you could uh you see a thing that's like or there's some people that are dabbling but they're not great they haven't really taken it you know but okay. I, I i really think everybody's got their own flavor uh to add that that, that could matter and if you if you've really got something that stands out and you've got passion you should probably make a run at it you yeah. know
0: that's incredible
1: when it comes to your personal kind of throw it back
0: a little bit, your personal plumbing experience when you were on the job. Mm-hmm. How, well, first off, how many years has it been since you were actually doing the, doing the work yourself?
1: I don't I don't even know. You don't even know I don't know. There was uh, There was a period of time where I I had to take the tools out of my truck because I would I was not getting my office stuff done. and okay. I'd would, I would get to a job and inevitably I, if I just got out of the truck and started working, things went a lot better uh, faster. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I had to make a shift. And so I took the tools out and put them in the garage. Yeah. And when I would get to the job, I physically couldn't help, you know, and that, that was a game changer. So that got me out of the fray. I don't know what year that was, but, uh, it was actually a really uncomfortable transition. I'm pretty good plumber. Okay. Um, my back's not all that it used to be, but yeah, (laughs) too many, too many toilet change offs yes. <laughs> or something. But uh yeah. It's uh but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I like the work. It's really uh it's a really interesting, challenging puzzle to put together. You
0: yeah, know? so so in that, what was your, your worst plumbing uh uh what do you call it? Um scenario that you had? Well, it
1: was, you know, mm. every
0: every toilet in the house blew up. <laughs> you know,
1: what what was your worst job? Okay. Well I couple different angles you could go on that. I mean, uh-huh. we've we've had some things flood. I mean, that's part of the business. Air conditioning floods. Yeah. Condensation, it's up in your attic and mm-hmm. a couple things go wrong and it can it can get your house wet and it's uh it happens. It is never fun and you got to just get in there and make it right. Exactly. But uh you know, um yeah, I don't I don't have any good drama stories. They're they're all going to sound pretty similar. Okay. But I'll say this when I I, we were doing new construction, and I feel like there was two. I had one competitor in new construction that was phenomenal. I mm-hmm. think we were phenomenal. We were the best, the most expensive guys. To, if if you could afford to work with us, you wanted to work with us yeah. to do your new homes, and the homes we were getting were were, were incredibly big. Uh, one of them was thirty thousand square feet. Thirty—that's a home. Yeah, that's a thirty thousand square foot home, right? And it could take three years to build a home like that. Yeah. And so with employee turnover. You're kind of like the guys that started the job aren't here at the end of the job, okay. and I'm the only brain trust that gets the whole thing. And service is growing like mad, mm-hmm. and and this particular builder, um, I mean, everything is measured to like the the sixteenth of an inch. Yeah, like where your toilet's at in the room to the sixteenth of an inch in concrete before they pour concrete. This is not easy to do. Ooh, right? Okay. we can do it. It's just hard and time consuming. So. Uh-huh. The level of precision uh, that went into that just stopped being fun. You know, it's like we kind of got to this point to where it was really exciting to get to be the biggest and the best, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, "I hate this because it's just <laughs> not. Even, it's too meticulous now. It's just just tedious." You okay. know, so that was. It was at that point where I started to really let go of new construction, mm-hmm. and that was an interest. It's an identity change. Yeah, when um, changing your identity is a really hard thing. I'm going through that right now in a new way yeah. with the change with selling the business and things of that nature. And identity change is truly one. if you, most people aren't even aware of what's occurring when it's occurring, but it's like emotionally disruptive as heck. Yeah. Cause you like, you're, you really are this person this way and now you wake up the next day. Now you gotta be something else. But construction was a big part of my identity mm-hmm. and, and being in the field with guys was too. And so those are all yeah. really painful shifts to become something new that's a big part of the growth, and I, I think that's what holds a lot of people back from doing what we're doing. That's, what I, was, that's what I was guessing. Yeah, they can't make those leaps. Interesting.
0: Yeah. So they they have to, you know, economy or, or just business wise, they got to change, and they end up not being able to adapt to their new.
1: self sabotage. Is what they do is they and, and y'all see it with people that work here. They'll they want to be a manager. Or it, and then they even could be, but then they'll actually wreck it on purpose so that they can't get the jobs. Like really interesting, but okay, because they they can't they haven't been able to process what it all means, and it's scary and, mm-hmm. and it's all unconscious, you know. Mostly this isn't in the front of your mind; it's just something emotional going on in the back of your mind that makes you really unsettled. Exactly. Yeah, man. So going back to, you
0: know, your eighteen-year-old self you know you're you're trying to decide whether it's college or trade school kind of what's what's some words of advice you'd have to people watching and in, into in yourself as an as a young adult um for trying to make that decision
1: man all right two i've got two tips for 18 year olds i bought my first boat when i was 18 okay buy a boat yeah buy a boat Just do I, that i like I, it i think it's super smart i was yeah. a 20-foot mako okay <laughs> the deep one yeah, yeah not not a bay boat but a deep mako exactly. we took it offshore a few times that was pretty cool um but i had a lot of money because i would worked since i was 13 years old so i yeah. could buy a mako but um the, the i would say if you don't have a clear career plan with college like doctor vet, engineer, mm-hmm. lawyer, if there's not a finish line there that has a real job that makes sense to you, go get a trades job and you can still go back to college. Like you can, yeah. you don't need to be in a hurry to go to college. You could go work in the trades and start making some really good money right away. And you're immediately accruing credits, essentially your hours or your credits towards licensing. mm mm-hmm. While you figure it out and and you're not just, you know, racking up a bunch of debt for a maybe I'll use this some way. Yeah. Here's the problem. A couple generations ago, the degree was everything. I mean, in just a a few generations before that, we didn't have the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're still as a society trying to figure out what post-Industrial Revolution life is like. Yeah. Everybody worked on farms and ranches and stuff like that. And, and there were no day jobs. Mm-hmm. It, the, the families worked on this common thing. And then now dad goes to the, uh, goes to the factory every day and this idea that it was going to be a better life. Mom stayed home. and yeah. then Mom started working. And all these different things are occurring and we don't really have it even figured out yet. Um, but there was that window of time where college was the magical thing. If you're a trades guy, it means you really hadn't made it. it but the college ones were the ones. And now that's, over inundated and just everybody's got to, people with college degrees answer our phones that's yeah. that's the reality of our business mm-hmm. that's who answers our phones and we love them and that's great, but it doesn't have any real value for what we're doing here. Exactly. the real value is people with skills in the field yeah and uh it's a very high value so <laughs> um yeah I just think I, I think culturally we that that thinking needs to die that uh trades shouldn't be a fallback career because you didn't make it anywhere else you go into the trades um Kind of looping back to that nineteen-year-old me, mm-hmm. I watched my dad uh, be in business, and he's a love. Love this man. He's a good guy, mm-hmm. and he was like maniacal about doing what he said he was going to do. And you know, this is in the pre-cell phone era, mm-hmm. to where he's. I'm going to be at your job on Tuesday, <laughs> and there wasn't really a good chance to talk to these guys any other. So we were there on Tuesday every time, and if exactly. we weren't like that, was he was panicked about it. Mm-hmm. But what I saw in return was these. These guys that hired my dad were so loyal to him. Nobody treated him like that. And it was like, so if I just show up when I'm supposed to, I've beat all the competition. Yeah. I don't even have to be a particularly good plumber. If I just show up when I said I was, yeah. I've literally beat everyone in town. Totally. Crazy, right? Yeah. So it's just like, it's easy to be successful in this business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, just, you just have to commit to and apply yourself, show up every day and learn. And you're going to be a booming success with minimal competition. You'll go straight to the front of the pack. Totally. Crazy.
0: That's that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible to hear. Mm-hmm. And I know I, I know that that's, that's the type of personality I am. If I didn't have this fishing thing lined up yeah. in college, I think I would have dropped out and, and, and done something in the trades. Yeah. Because there's so many. I mean, yeah. it's not just plumbing and air yep. conditioning. You've got welding and yeah. construction and you know lots of things that don't
1: require it's a big old vacuum for intelligent people. That I mean, it's gonna. I don't know. I don't know where it all ends. But, but we need we need more people coming in. Yes, we do. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, it's been an incredible
1: conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed thanks for it too. sitting down and talking. If you Absolutely. guys are of course curious
0: about you know working at Radiant, if you want to move to Austin and and be a good plumber, they're always looking for new uh, new employees and. To have dance parties with, hopefully once COVID ends.
1: Yep. Radiantplumbing.com. Yep. You can get everything you need right there. Totally. Yep. Well, thanks again, Brad. Cool. Thank you. Yep. And we'll see
0: you next time on Deck.